We're in Philippians. We got a lot to get to. Uh, Philippians, I call it the happiest book on earth. Written in the hardest of circumstances, Paul, author of this book, uh, preaches the gospel. As a reward, he gets accused of all kinds of things, gets put in a jail, stuck in this jail, trial after trial after trial. Read Acts 22 through 28. They try to assassinate him. It doesn't work. Finally, Paul's just fed up with it. He says, I appeal to Caesar. So they put him on a boat. It gets shipwrecked. He ends up on an island. He's making a fire to warm people up. He gets bit by a snake. It's just bad, bad, bad. Ends up in Rome. He's now been in a prison for two years, possibly facing the death penalty. And he's done nothing wrong. It's in those circumstances that he writes the happiest book on earth because your happiness and my happiness don't have to be dictated by our circumstances. So it's just this brilliant manual on how do we walk out lives that are full of gladness and happiness and rejoicing, right? So this is a great little section for me. I love it. We get his teaching style. We get warned about some traps that will rob you of happiness. We get a truth that will block off those robbers. And then it's Paul's testimony. Brilliant. Let's jump in. Verse 1, chapter Three Philippians. Finally, my brothers, is Paul done here? No, he's in the very middle of his message, right? So it is biblical for me to say finally when I'm only halfway done. Just know that I might pull that out at some point. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I love that. What's Paul's teaching style? Repetition. I'm going to repeat things to you over and over again. It doesn't trouble me, and it's safe for you. Parents, you ever have to repeat to your kids things that are important? Or is it one and done? Told my kid once when he was three, he got it. Right? Close the door. Were you born in a barn? How many times you said that, right? Pick up your socks. Do you think I'm your maid, <laughs> right? Don't hit your sister. Don't bite your brother. Don't scratch. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't grumble. Wake up on time. Be home at your curfew. When you take a shower, make sure the towel gets back in there. Don't be a moron. Things like that, right? You don't say it once. You repeat it. You repeat if you want them to recall it. You repeat what is important over and over and over again so it becomes part of them. Paul says, I am a broken record. It doesn't trouble me. That's my goal. Maybe five years ago or so, this young man came up to me after our service and he's like, hey, Matt, I've been coming here like six months and I just want to mention something to you. He was like, I've come in here a while and um, it feels like you're saying the same thing every other week. I said, man, I am sorry. I apologize. I'll have to work harder. I'm trying to say the same thing every week. It's always Jesus. It's he is the hope for glory. And we need that repeated because we walk out of these doors and for six days we are bombarded with, here's the route to glory. And you need to come in here and get an antidote to the world every Sunday. It's Christ in you, the only hope of glory, period. Hard period, right? So it doesn't trouble me to say that over and over. And it's safe for us. And that's Paul's teaching style. 
And now he's probably gonna get into something that he had already told them once before, but he's gonna repeat it because he knows, yeah, here's a trap that will rob you of happiness. Verse two, look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul says, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Man, have joy, but I'm gonna warn you. There's things, there's people that will rob you of your happiness. Three of them, dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. Sounds like a 1970s rock band, doesn't it? Look out for these guys. And the warning is this, happiness is a treasure that people will try to steal. And very often the thieves come wrapped in religious clothes. That's how they'll come at you, right? Paul had already seen this. People coming behind him when he would leave a church and they infiltrate in, they look religious and then they rob people of their happiness. And there's three brands. Brand number one is a dog. Now in America, we have this perception of dogs. When I think about a dog, it's my golden retriever, Chloe, the happiest creature on earth. Didn't matter what we did, Chloe was happy. Hey, Chloe, come inside, she's happy. Chloe, go outside, she's happy. Chloe, let's go for a walk, she's happy. Chloe, I'm gonna tie you up, she's happy, right? Just, I don't know how the breeders of golden retrievers did it, but they're just the happiest dog on earth, right? It's like they're on permanent Prozac. My goal, my New Year's resolution every year is to be more like a golden retriever, like phenomenal. That's not the dog he's talking about. It's a scavenger, a third world mutt. In a third world country, they have these dogs that look like shrunk hyenas. That's the kind of dog, right? And what are these dogs always trying to do to you? Steal. They're trying to take from you. So a dog is just a scavenger. How can I get an advantage over you to take stuff from you? So many years ago, I went down to Brazil to visit my brother-in-law and his family in the Amazon. And I went with Jason Folkstadt, he's our mission pastor, Wade Cummingford, and Mike Surratt. And we go down there and part of the trip was we got on this boat and went down this river to visit these villages that are only accessible by, by the boat. So you go down, you share the gospel, you share two or three, and then you stay at one that night. So all of our provisions were on this boat. We had just all packed in this cooler and you go, it, it was crazy. You're going down rapids and there's alligators. It's just, it's total fun. So first day we stop at this village. It's the nighttime. We go up there, we have a Bible study, hang our hammocks, we go to sleep. That morning we came down and our boat is trashed. A dog had got into the cooler and eaten all of the meat that we had. Well, not all of it, it had left like only the really, like this kind of meat that's really spicy. You know the kind? It's so nice, it burns you twice. That kind of meat. The dog's like, yeah, I ain't eating that. I'm eating everything else except for the spicy sausage, right? And we're like, how in the world did a dog get into a closed cooler with a three digit combination? Jason, were you down here, right? It stole all of our meat. And I was like, no problem. This is like man versus wild, Clyde. I said, we will hunt and gather our food today. We fasted that day. I didn't catch anything. I fished and fished and fished, caught nothing, right? So it was a hungry trip. Why? Because of a dog. Dogs take from you. Ministries that are always trying to take from you. Hey, sow into my ministry. Give me this amount of money. And I promise you that out of this, you'll get a wife, 
or power or success. Or they're always trying to take from you. They're takers, not givers. Paul says, look out for them. They're always taking from you. They're third world mutts. Number two, look out for evildoers. Evildoers are black holes. They just have this gravity that sucks garbage into them and then they suck you into their garbage. They're black holes. And what I've seen with them is they come, black holes, evildoers come in two flavors. The first flavor, and this is one I hate, they're called sweet and sour. They appear sweet, but it always sours. Hey, come over for a Bible study. Join with us. We're going to have a Bible study. And then after the Bible study, we're going to go to the bar. That happens in our town right now. I'm just like, that's not right. That's not right. It reminds me of Proverbs 7, 14, talking about the adulterous woman who says to the foolish young man, I've made my sacrifices. I've kept my vows. So now come sleep with me. She couches it in religious language. I'm a Christian like you. I'm a believer like you. Oh, God is fine with this. God is full of grace. Sweet and sour, right? Happens all the time. In 20 years of ministry, I've watched this happen 100 times. Normally, though, today it's not an adulterous woman. It's the dude. The dude puts the play on, right? Shows up at church, does all the things, and then gets the girl, and then off they go. Like, I have a saying, if I had a dime for every godly gal with an evil dude, I'd be rich. I'd buy a baseball bat and beat him with it. Because I sit in that room over there and talk to him four years later, five years later, and it's misery because it was sweet and sour. Don't missionary date. Be careful of this, right? Be really careful of it. If there's something in your heart saying, no, I just don't know about this, yeah, be really careful. The other flavor is potato chips. You can't eat just one. And this breaks my heart because you'll see young men get out of addiction to drugs or alcohol or something, and they'll come in church and they'll start thriving and doing well. And then evildoers come in. Their old buddies start calling them again, start luring them back into the junk. And then I'll see them a week later or a month later on the streets or in a grocery store and the light's gone. I'm like, what happened to you? Oh, you know, I started hanging out with my old bros again. And someone gave me some of that. And now I'm hooked again. And I always tell them, those aren't your bros. They hate you. They know what this does to you. They hate you. But I was just trying to help them. You can't help them. Your job is to pray for them and stay away from them because bad company corrupts good morals. They know they've got you and they'll lure you back in, right? Stay away from them. Don't answer the phone. Even better, give me your phone. Like I've done that before. I had this guy that, man, he kept getting sucked into it. After a Sunday service, he gave me his phone. He says, every drug dealer in Grants Pass will be calling you. I said, good, this will be fun. And I answered that phone all day. It was the best day ever, man. One guy recognized my voice, Pastor Matt. I said, yeah, who's this? Click, bad trip, man. You pray and you stay away. Look out. They're, they're black holes. They will suck you into their junk. In the last group, he calls them mutilators of the flesh. Here's what this crew was. They were the crew that said, hey, believing in Jesus is great, but that's kindergarten. If you want to go to grad school, get circumcised. Literally, 
right? Be in pain, prove it with your pain. And all the men of Philippi were calling Paul, really, is this true, right? Is this how it happens? So if dogs are takers and evildoers are those that are black holes sucking you into their garbage, the mutilators are people that glory in the flesh. They glory in the flesh, like what we can do, how strong we are, how good of believers we are. They glory in the flesh. And here's the path they go down and all of us go down it. We gotta be careful of it. First step is this. We exchange the freedom we have in Christ. Do you know in Christ you have freedom? Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are permissible. Not all things are beneficial, but all things are permissible. We have the most generous, graceful edict ever in any religion, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Acts 15, you're not under the law anymore. You're under grace, right? So they take their liberty in Christ and they exchange it for a list. So here's a list of do's and don'ts. Number two, they look at that list instead of what the believers are supposed to do is to look to Jesus and to pray and to get counsel. No, I don't need to look to the Lord. I have my list. I'm just gonna look at my list. Then number three is, they, we start to believe because we don't do this or we do do this, we're a better believer than everyone else. We're a graduates. We're not in kindergarten anymore. And then number four, we'll start using that list to measure and gauge every other Christian and no one measures up to our gauge, right? All have fallen short of the glory of the mutilator. No one stacks up, okay? That's in all of us. And you'll hear it like, oh, you know, every Friday I, I celebrate Shabbat. From Friday sundown to Sunday, or Mon from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, it's Shabbat for me, just me and the glory of Jesus. Matt, what did you do on Friday? Um, I went to my daughter's soccer game with my family. Hell for you. How could you not keep the Sabbath holy, right? So they all have these things, nothing wrong with celebrating Shabbat, but they start using it as, look at me, I'm better, I'm glorying in the flesh. And it's all kinds of ways that they do it. Oh, we move in the prophetic at our church. Oh, we're enlightened in the Holy Spirit. Oh, we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oh, we speak in tongues over here. Oh, we memorize the creeds over here. Oh, we have Hebrew roots over here. Oh, we're Saturday saints over here, right? They all have something that makes them better than you and me. Some kind of glory in the flesh. We don't do this, we do do this, and that makes us better. What I've noticed with these people is their smiling faces with shriveled souls. It looks good, but man, their souls are shriveling because they're glory in the, in the flesh. It's all we do, we do, we, 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 we. It's merry without the merry-go-round because the problem with that is every problem has to have a new list made, more stuff made, more reading made, more singing made, more prophetic made, whatever. You just need more and more until finally it breaks you. Smiling faces with shriveled souls. And the danger with it is this. When you start thinking that you're doing all this stuff for God, then you believe somehow he's indebted to you. God owes me the good life. God owes me that promotion. 
God owes me that house. God owes me. And there is no quicker way to misery than believing God owes you something. We become the elder brother and the prodigal son. You guys know the story? Prodigal son returns home. The father's like stoked. My son who I thought was dead has returned. Kill the fatted calf. We are going to party because my son's home. What happens to the older brother? He comes in, he hears the noise. He asks the servant, what's going on? Bro, your younger brother, the one we thought was dead. He's alive, he's repented, he's come home. Celebrate. What does the older brother do instead? The father has to come out to him. And the elder brother says, look at all the stuff I did for you. I did this and this and this and this. Why aren't you throwing a party for me? And while the entire household is partying, the older brother is outside pouting. That's always what happens to the mutilators. Always what happens to people that are saying, look at all this stuff I'm doing for God. They'll all end up like this. And these three, they have power. Here's why. We all have a glory hole in us. We all want some kind of glory, right? So the dogs say, hey, if you do this for me, I'll make sure that glory hole is full. The evildoers know this about sin. It is pleasurable for a season, but the end is destruction. The mutilators know that all of us, we, we, we wanna do good, right? We wanna be varsity Christians. So they all play on it. But all the end of it in each one of them is misery. So what do we do? You gotta find a truth. And Paul gives us one of the greatest truths in the most condensed package. Look at verse three. Remember the mutilators were telling them, if you wanna be a serious Christian, be circumcised. Look what Paul answers right away. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Brilliant. Three things. We are the circumcision. We worship by the spirit of God and we have no confidence in the flesh, but glory in Jesus Christ. Brilliant. Number one, we are the circumcision. Is that past, present, or future? Right now, right, right? I don't have to do something to get it. I don't have to go to a doctor to get it. It's you are right now. You are the circumcision. Here's what this would mean. If you're a Bible person, circumcision was that first covenant that God makes with Abraham. You're my family. You're my son, right? Listen, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are family. You are covenanted with God. You're in. You can't be more in. You can't be more of a son. You can't be more of a daughter. You, can do, you can't do anything to make God love you more, and you can't do anything to make God love you less. You are the circumcision. Hard period. The way you can measure a church, I think, the way you can measure a ministry is, do they tell you that? Listen, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1, 3, God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. It's all been given to you. When you leave church, do you feel like, hey, man, my soul has just been full with the goodness of Jesus Christ? Or do I feel shamed? Do I feel like I lack? And you're supposed to know this is identity statement. 
This is to restore the joy of your salvation. You are the circumcision, your identity. Number two, who worship by the Spirit of God. There's this idea today, I think it's wrong, it's a dichotomy, that there's praising churches over here, this kind of church, and then there's preaching churches over here, this kind of church. Like they're different. No way, praise and preaching are friends. Here's what he's saying. When truth about your identity, who you are, when that happens, when the preaching is going on, there should be as God's spirit presses that truth into your soul, makes it alive to you, there should be in that moment just an eruption of worship. Oh, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, right? That's what's supposed to happen. Good truth being pressed into my soul by the power of God's spirit erupts in me worship. Amen, right? You express it. Well, Matt, I'm just not a very emotional man, okay? When you're all decked out in your duck gear <laughs> and the beavers scored the go-ahead touchdown where you're like, well, that is interesting. That is worth six points. We are currently down by three points. Hmm, very interesting. When you're out on the golf course and you shank that ball, are you like, it appears I have not hit that ball well. Hmm, right? No, we're all emotional. Just when we choose to use it. What Paul is saying, for the believer, you express yourself. When you're reminded of your identity in Christ, there should erupt by the power of God's spirit Praise, amen, yes, so be it, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That should happen to us, so good. And then thirdly, glory to Jesus and no confidence in the flesh. Glory to Jesus, no confidence in the things that I've done, right? It's not about how long I sang or how long I tarried or how much of the spirit I have or how enlightened I am or how much of the Bible I know. No, no confidence in the flesh, all glory to Jesus Christ, period. I love this. I'm gonna repeat this until I die. It doesn't trouble me to repeat this and it's safe for us. Listen, listen, Jesus Christ is the deep end. Do you know that? Everything else, I don't care what it is, everything else is the kiddie pool. Now you can play in the kiddie pool if you want. It will make the toddlers anxious and you're gonna hit some unnaturally warm spots, but go right ahead by all means, play there if you want to. Jesus is the deep end. So I did this Wednesday series where we were looking at just the spirit realm, how the Old Testament authors, how they knew about this spirit realm, and then how that spills into the New Testament, and you see it all over the place once the light goes on. And so I had people say, man, that was so deep, Matt. I just stopped them, time out. No, this isn't deep. No, we're waiting right now. What makes this amazing is when you realize what Jesus did on the cross, how he crushed the chaos monster, how all these forces, all this power now is gone and greater is he that's in me and you than he that's in the world. That's the deep end. This is just interesting and fascinating, but it drives us to the deep end, which is Jesus Christ. He's it. A church, a ministry that to me is right on, is constantly telling you what you are in Christ 
constantly telling you, hey, you've been given the spirit of God and it will lead you and guide you to express what God's spirit wants you to express. And thirdly, that church will constantly be pointing to Jesus Christ. That's a truthful, good church that will keep you safe. And it should not be troubling for a pastor to say, I'll repeat this until I die, right? Truth. Now Paul gives his testimony because there's gonna be people that are be like, well, I don't know about that, man. These people seem really spiritual over here. These people that are doing all this stuff, they seem awesome. So Paul's gonna say, okay, fine, let's go. Look at verse four. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's like, you guys wanna brag about your resumes? You guys wanna see whose halo is shinier? Fine, let's do it. And what he's gonna say is this, in my ancestry, in my orthodoxy, in my activity, in my morality, I am an eight-time Olympic gold medalist. You won't compare to me. So if we wanna get confidence in the flesh, I had it, but Paul has a light go on that changes his entire life, changes everything he lived for. But first, he's gonna brag, his ancestry. Verse five, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? Paul's like, listen, I'm part of the chosen people part of the tribe that had the first king. My name is of the first king. I'm as good as it gets with my ancestry. Today it would be, I was born in the church nursery and my first word was Jesus, okay? Good ancestry. Number two, my orthodoxy. He says, I am a Pharisee of a Pharisee. As to the law of Pharisee. Who are the Pharisees? The name means set apart. They are a group of very strict religious people stricter than you and I can even imagine. They would memorize the first five books of the Bible. I don't even want to show of hands who's read the first five books of the Bible. They memorize them. You ever been to Numbers? All those tribes and how many people died and how many people lived and I mean, it's just insane. They memorized all of that, okay? If they're walking down the road and they happen to swallow a gnat, they would put their finger in their throat and throw up. You know why? Because that gnat has a tiny bit of blood in it. And the law says, don't eat meat with blood. And so they would puke to make sure they didn't eat meat with blood. That's how serious they were about their religion. Paul says, I was one of those dudes. In my orthodoxy, I was one of those dudes. Today would be the King James Version only guy, right? The prayer shawl wearing, 12 kid bearing fundamentalist who looks at you and me with four kids is like, what? Bro, the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. Buy an Econoline van and fill it up. Then you're keeping the commandments, right? It's that dude. Paul's like, yeah, that was me. His activity. Verse six, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul was convinced Jesus was a heretic. So we see him in Acts chapter seven. He is overseeing the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. And from there, he goes on a rampage, gathering up Christians, putting them in jail, killing them right? Jihad against Jesus. He was serious about his religion. His morality, he just says, I'm blameless. 
In my morality, I'm blameless. I didn't need Jesus because I was Jesus. That's essentially what Paul is saying right here. Right? He is huge. He's big. He's as good as it gets. And look what happens. Look at verse seven. But whatever gain I had, best resume ever, get you into any door in Jerusalem. Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Paul was the man in Judaism. He was the up and coming, best schools, best graduate, top of his class. He was gonna take over. He was gonna be the man in Judaism. And he walked away from it all. He'd be like Richard Dawkins. You know who that is? He's the high priest of atheism. Be like getting the paper tomorrow and seeing Richard Dawkins quits his professorship at Cambridge to become a Jesuit monk. He'd be like, what? It's like this right here. He'd be like Elon Musk saying, you know, I'm selling Twitter, I'm selling Tesla, I'm giving all the money away, and I'm gonna work at a fish farm in Uganda. What? Be like that. Joe Rogan quitting podcasts to go work as a fisherman in Alaska. Just, it, it blows the mind what Paul gave up right here. Now, why would he do that? Look at verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I found something better. And all that other stuff, all that I'd worked for the first 30 years of my life, all that, he says, verse eight, I count it as rubbish. The Greek word rubbish, it literally means dung or turd. All that stuff, all that religious work that I did, all that, it's a dog turd, right? So you got a new word when your dog goes out the front door and uses your neighbor's lawn. You say he just took a religion. That's what Paul is saying right there. All that, it's just, it's just a dog turd. That's all it is. Now, why? Because of verse nine. Indeed, excuse me, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, his resume, Everything that I did, all my orthodoxy, all my ancestry, all my morality, all my activity, and it's not my own righteousness, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith. I got something better. You and I all want righteousness. We are designed to have righteousness. We lost it. 
We still have this desire to be right, to be righteous, for other people to think of us as righteous. It's why parents care so much about their kids and how they act in Walmart, right? That's this desire in us to be righteous and for people to look at and say, hey, he's righteous. We all have it, but we all can't get it. So we're all in this struggle of, oh, I want this thing that's unattainable until Jesus comes. And Jesus says, the thing that you need the most, I'm going to give it to you. And Paul says, when I heard that, when the light went on, the rest of the things I worked on were a dog turd. In comparison to this, it's all a dog turd. And he changes his whole life. His goal is transformed. Instead of doing all these things, ancestry, activity, morality, he says this, this is what I want now. Verse 10, this is an underliner. It's so brilliant. That I may know him, who? Jesus. And the power of his resurrection. What does that even mean? What's the power of the resurrection? And I may share his suffering. What? Your new goal is to share in Christ's sufferings? Why? To become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul has a brand new center, a new, a new gravity. His life orbited around something very different now. And it wasn't religious success. It wasn't being important. It wasn't 12 kids in an Econoline van. It was not any of those things. It was one thing. I want to know Jesus and his power. I want to know the resurrection and I want to be like him. And if suffering is the route to be like him, great, perfect. This is bulletproof Christianity. Do you know that? This is bulletproof Christianity. Paul's like, life is short, eternity is long. And if this is the route to becoming like Jesus, man, I embrace it with joy and happiness. This is bulletproof Christianity. So I read Philippians a bunch of times before I started to kind of outline it and do what I was gonna do up here. And I was reading through this, like there was a day I just stopped on verse 10. I just sat there and went, that's Christianity. That's what has kept the church, the church for 2000 years, that right there. It's what allows Jamaican slaves to look at their murderous bosses who are telling them, we'll kill you if you pray. And they fall on their knees right in front of them and pray. That's what allowed believing Christians in Holocaust camps to exchange their position for unbelievers because they didn't know Jesus yet and to be starved to death. This is the power. It makes you bulletproof. And when I was reading it, I thought about this story. Maybe you've heard it. It's called The 40 Soldiers of Sevaste. Who's heard of that? Well, if you haven't, I gotta tell you it. It's brilliant. So if you don't know Christian history, by the 300 AD, what had happened was 50% of the big centers of the Roman Empire were now Christian. Rome, 50% of the city was Christian. Corinth, 50% was Christian. Ephesus, 50% was Christian. So everything was changing in the cultural centers of, of Rome. So no one was going to the pagan temples anymore. No one was paying money to them. No one was sacrificing to them. So it was, this old system was crumbling. So in 320, after Constantine made his thing, a new Caesar comes and he says this, we gotta get it restored. And I'm gonna start with the army. So he said to the army, I want every single soldier to make a sacrifice to me. And it was real simple. 
What you did is you pinched some incense and burned it on an altar, and then you said this, Caesar is Lord. And what you're saying is he is my supreme commander. He's my God. Well, this regiment, the captain said, okay, we gotta do this, guys. 40 of his soldiers said, we can't do that. And the captain said, but you're gonna dishonor Caesar. And they said, but if we do it, we'll dishonor Jesus. So the captain had them flogged, but it didn't change their mind. And the captain was like, guys, what are you doing, man? I love you. I don't wanna do this to you. So they actually brought in another dude in that didn't know them and didn't care about these guys. And this man took them out in the middle of winter after they'd just been beaten, stripped them naked, and then sent them out onto this frozen lake. And then meanwhile, on land, they made these fires and they started warming up water and they had a bathhouse and they said, you can come off that ice anytime you want and you can jump in this warm water if you'll just say, Caesar is Lord. And these 40 men out there shriveling, shivering and dying started to sing this song and they kept singing it. And this is the song they sang. 40 brave soldiers for Christ 40 brave soldiers for Christ. We'll be true to God and stare death in the face though we perish on this lake of ice. We'll be 40 brave soldiers for Christ. And they kept singing that hour after hour, the wind howling, the voices getting dimmer and dimmer until all of a sudden about midnight, a shriek comes and one of the soldiers ran off the ice and ran into the bathhouse. And there was silence until once again, they took up their tune. 39 brave soldiers for Christ, 39 brave soldiers for Christ. But the jailer who had been overseeing all this, when that happened, he couldn't take it. He shredded his clothes off of himself and he ran out to the ice and he said, no, 40 brave soldiers for Christ. How brilliant is that? Do we have that kind of metal today? There's a painting of it that I really like. Here's the painting of it. And I, I love old paintings because they, it, it was made for people that could not read. And so what they would do in one painting is they would put all the information in there, right? You see everyone, you see the jailer disrobing right there, ready to jump out. And then you see the one guy in the bathhouse. That's the guy that ran off. Notice that his, every other face is really visible. His face is not visible. You know why his face is not visible? It's ancient cancel culture. That's what that is right there. <laughs> How good is that, right? And then I love the fact they've all got six packs. You're like, wow. <laughs> Apparently, CrossFit was a Christian discipline in 320 AD. Like, oh, man. <laughs> I wouldn't want my shirt off in those guys. They understood something. Life is short. Eternity is long. I'm going to live my life strong. I'm not going to dishonor Jesus to know him and the power of his resurrection and to share in his suffering because it makes me like him. That's a power. Now, how's that a power? Okay, finally, last point, and this is really it. Let me give you one analogy that maybe will help you understand this. Let's say tomorrow morning you get a phone call. You answer it. It's the Royal Society of England. And they say, hey, can we talk to you? Sure, hey, you know the queen died a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Okay, we've done an extensive research into the ancestry of the throne, and we've done it and checked this over a hundred times. You are the rightful heir 
to the throne of England. You're like, what? No way. They're like, yeah, totally is true. You're like, that's impossible. I'm Chinese. Doesn't even make sense. <laughs> like, no, we know it's you. You're it. Okay? You're heir to the throne. And that same day you get in your car to go to work, it blows up, you get to work late, and your boss fires you. Would you even care? Would you care about that job? Would any of it matter to you? He would say, you can keep that job because I'm heir to the throne. This is what Paul knew. This is the light that turned on in him. Are you kidding me? Life is short and eternity is long. I'm not gonna let this rob me of my happiness. These sufferings, they're but for a moment, but they're working for me an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Everything else is a dog turd in comparison. That's brilliant, is it not? That's how these men lived. That's what happened to these 40 soldiers. That's what happened to Jamaican slaves. That's what happened to Holocaust saints. That's what can happen to you and me when we realize this truth. I'm heir to the throne. Nothing else matters. 